welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, this is your host, Nick Zararis. And as promised, we are here to start the discussion for NFL Wildcard Weekend. Today, we're doing the AFC. Tomorrow, we will do the NFC. Hope everybody's gotten a chance to check out some of the episodes over the last week and a half. We got back into the daily episode grind. It took a little bit of willpower to get off my ass and be productive, but it's a new year and gotta be productive. Gotta be productive. Had a guest earlier in the week, my good friend Gabriella Carroll stopped by. We talked about the national title game and the landscape around college football. That was on Tuesday. Worth your time. Most of these episodes are worth your time. I am not just talking for my own health here. I do like to think I do a decent job of giving useful information and thoughtful discussion, which is what the goal of this show is, is... Just because I am not as plugged into the loop does not mean I don't know what I am talking about. That is the biggest problem I have with the state of sports media right now is that there are all these people who are infinitely plugged into the loop and have these great professional relationships and sources, but they don't actually do anything with it. They report tidbits and say, we'll see what happens. And we'll say, well, well, when we get to it, it'll happen. Instead of, these are the factors at hand that need to be decided these people want to do this, but these people want to do that. There's not enough just cut and dry straightforwardness in sports media. And there's, there's so little analysis. It's so much more just opinions masquerading as analysis instead of using analysis to give your opinion, which is supposed to be the point of the talking head shows and the talking head shows don't do that anymore. And it's a departure. And The economics of sports media have changed dramatically. It is a lot cheaper to have five talking heads do that than it is to produce original content that requires effort. I mean, ESPN's most informative and important, I dare say, program, NFL Matchup, airs Saturdays at 8 a.m. and Sundays at 6 a.m. They're not exactly giving informational programming good time slots here. You're telling me you can't put that on ESPN2 opposite NFL countdown instead of listening to Rex Ryan bolliviate about why he's so much smarter than Brandon Staley, even though Rex Ryan hasn't been in the NFL in five years and Brandon Staley is going to be in the NFL for quite quite a bit longer than Rex was as head coach of the Jets and the Bills. I digress. This is not a soapbox. Like I always say, this is not a sports media podcast. This is a sports podcast. So... We'll talk about the AFC playoff games. We got three interesting matchups, two fun ones, one crappy one in uh, Chiefs-Steelers, but we'll talk about it. We'll have some fun. Uh, Before we get to it, though, got to remind everyone, help support the show. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, all that good stuff. Whatever podcasting platform you like to use, subscribe to the show, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Yes, I just said that twice. If you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. Reviews are the lifeblood of any content creator's existence. The more reviews we get, the more interactions we get, the easier it is for us to get gainful employment or to get advertising. All of the stuff that makes it possible to produce content in this capitalistic hellscape. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk some AFC football. With that, we will get on into it. So, first game of the weekend, one that 
prior to the season happening, I never would have thought happen in a million years. I was looking at my preseason predictions. I went through every single game before the season started, picked every win and loss, and I had the Bengals at 2-15, and 15, very much not being a 10-win team. I did not think the Bengals would be particularly good this year. The Raiders, I had at 9-8. and eight. I thought the Raiders would be decent fringe playoff team. Here they are, improbably so, the Las Vegas Raiders in the playoffs for the first time since the team moved to Las Vegas. Of course, the person who designed this roster, John Gruden, is no longer with the organization. They have had a very tumultuous season. They have looked down and out more than once, but they went to Indy, and then they won on Sunday Night Football against the Chargers in two consecutive weeks and got themselves into the playoffs with a lot of smoke and mirrors, with a lot of Max Crosby, and a lot of Derek Carr pass interference penalties. That's really all it is. The Raiders are very much a smoke and mirrors team right now because they just don't have the talent of some of the other teams in the playoffs. I mean, right now the Raiders' best receivers are Zay Jones and Sean Jackson and Hunter Renfro. Darren Waller's been hurt pretty much the entire second half of the season, and it's really hard to move the ball when you don't have NFL talent at wide receiver, and a lot of their offense is Derek Carr just chucking the ball up and hoping a pass interference penalty gets called. So the Raiders going to Cincinnati. This is the 4-5 matchup in terms of seeding. The Bengals is the 4 seed. The Bengals are 5.5 point favorites. The total is 49. So starting off from purely a matchup standpoint, there's going to be opportunities here for the Bengals to hit shot plays. That's the thing about the Gus Bradley All-Stars, what I've called this Raiders defense all year. When you're in a cover 3 look, you're like the Raiders will be a majority of this game. You're going to have opportunities to attack the seams. The Bengals have quality receivers. Even their tight ends, EJ Uzoma, is a pretty decent pass-catching tight end, even though that's not his primary focus. His main skill is blocking. They have Joe Mixon, who they can use out of the backfield, who should be back from about with COVID for Saturday's game. The Bengals' offense should be able to move the ball pretty easily against this Raider defense. The only thing I want to talk about in terms of the Raiders' defense is Max Crosby, a Mac legend, a third-round pick, somebody who has had a meteoric rise to being one of the five best edge rushers in the entire league, even though he went to a smaller school, even though he's a lower-round pick, and he's had his own personal battles. He's overcome addiction. And just because somebody overcame addiction doesn't mean you need to talk about it every single time he's referenced in anything whether it be on Sunday Night Football or on any of the talking head shows it's okay to just talk about him as a football player because he's had personal struggle doesn't make his his plight as an athlete any more noteworthy let people handle their business when necessary Max Crosby is a game-wrecking force. The Bengals have a very bad offensive line. I believe I saw 30th in win rate for pass blocking out of 32 teams in the NFL, the lowest of any team in the playoffs. This Bengals offensive line is bad. Max Crosby is going to hit the shit out of Joe Burrow more than once. We've seen Joe Burrow get his shit rocked a lot over the last two years. Last year, he only lasted four games because of how bad he got his shit rocked. He had to leave their game in Week 17 against the Chiefs because he got hurt. His ankle, I believe, was the official injury designation. He got last week off. He's going to play. And I expect the Bengals to take care of business in this game. I expect this to be 
the typical one o'clock, the typical early game of Wild Card Weekend, which is usually a blowout or a horrendously bad game, one of those two things. Sometimes at the same time. I mean, the Bengals and the Texans were famous for this game. The Chargers and the Texans played in this game a few times. The Bengals and the Steelers played in it once, I believe. But more or less, this is always the game for the unserious playoff teams. I don't know why the NFL does that. It. Every single year, I guess, because you're more likely to get more viewers on Saturday night than you are Friday after, Saturday afternoon. But, I digress. When you get into situations like this where there's a, there's a clear talent gap here. The Bengals have more guys. The Bengals have more dudes than the Raiders do. The next thing you got to go to is, does the team with the talent deficiency have an advantage at quarterback or head coach? And in the case of quarterback, no. Burrow is better than Derek Carr. I can I feel pretty confident in saying that. Head coaching-wise, I think both Zach Taylor and Rich Passaccia, neither of them is anything special. I think Zach Taylor has gotten incredibly lucky that Joe Burrow popped the way he did this year because the way they call offense in Cincinnati just does not make sense. They really stick to certain things that you shouldn't be running against what the defense is giving you. There's a very stubbornness of doing things Zach Taylor's way in terms of the game flow, of calling things in certain situations, as opposed to taking advantage of what the defense is giving you. And that's one thing that Joe Burrow is very good at. Joe Burrow is not the most physically talented quarterback, but what Joe Burrow is very good at is between the ears. He is great at looking at the defense pre-snap, identifying where pressure is going to come from, and then getting rid of the ball with pressure in his face. He is one of the best young quarterbacks I have ever seen dealing with pressure. Him and Herbert are just otherworldly good at having a rusher coming at their face, sidestepping them, and firing a ball where it needs to go. In Herbert's case, the ball just comes out like a rocket, and it's easy. Burrow has to know where he needs to go with the ball. He does not have the arm talent of Justin Herbert, and that's fine. Burrow's intangibles make up for some of his talent deficiencies, but his talent deficiencies aren't egregious. He's not a bozo out there. He's not a schlub. He can get some pretty nice deep balls in. I mean, he's got, I believe, the most reception completions of more than 20 yards of any quarterback in something like 20 years since they started tracking that stat. This is a big play offense. Now, how do you stop a big play offense? You get a pass rush going so the guys can't get going down the field. But when that happens, then the Bengals can go to something a little bit more underneath, a little bit more reminiscent of what you would see from a college offense where if you know pressure's coming, you change your play, you go to an RPO, you get the ball to the perimeter. If they're going to load up the box, we go to the perimeter. If they're going to spread it out wide, we'll run between the tackles. These are very simple philosophical things you can do based on what the defense is giving you that Zach Taylor refuses to take advantage of. I like the Bengals in this game. Five and a half seems a little high considering Zach Taylor is coaching the team favored by five and a half points. I don't feel good about betting money on Zach Taylor. I'm going to tell myself I'm betting on Joe Burrow and that Joe Burrow is like uh, Paul Walker in Varsity Blues where he's going to call his own plays at quarterback. That That's what I'm going with here if you're going to tell yourself you're going to bet on the Bengals. That's really what it comes down to. I do want to see what Vegas does defensively who they opt to try and clamp down, what they try and do to limit Jamar Chase's explosive plays, see if they can make the Bengals nickel and dime their way up the field with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, who's no slouch in his own right. He's not 
he's not Jamar Chase's level of dynamic, but T. Higgins is a pretty good NFL wide receiver. I mean, the Bengals had 2,000-yard receivers, and AJ, uh, Tyler Boyd had 800-something yards. Uzoma had something like 500. This is a pretty potent passing attack. Joe Burrow very much is about that action. I like the Bengals in this game. Zach Taylor does worry me. When we talk about the playoffs, coaching matters a lot more because all of the decisions, the the importance of every decision in the playoffs is magnified because you have one game. This is it. There is no next game if things go wrong here. That's why decision-making becomes so heavily scrutinized in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen some head-scratching ones. The one that sticks out from last year was the early game on the Saturday of Wild Card Weekend when the Colts were down a touchdown, I believe. No, four points. They were down four points. They could not kick a field goal to the Bills. They get the ball back with 240 and one timeout, and they come out and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and there's 50 seconds left, and they still need a touchdown to win the game, and they are just going way too slow. They're huddling every single time after the play. They're letting the clock run. At some point, there needs to be somebody to tell Philip Rivers, hey, Phil, let's go here. The clock's running. We need a touchdown. And Frank Reich, just no urgency in the play calling there. And that is very much something we could see Zach Taylor do on Saturday, and it's why I am a little bit worried about the Bengals. This, I think Bill Simmons is the first person who ever called it this, but this is the bullshit game. One of these is the full-of-shit bullshit team. One of these teams really is going to look stupid losing to the other team because if you're the Bengals and you lose this game to the Raiders, you lost to an interim head coach and a team with no wide receivers. And if you're the Raiders, you lost to the Bengals and Zach Taylor. This is the full of shit game. I believe it was Bill Simmons who first called it that. There's always one of these in the playoffs where both of the teams are pretty full of shit and got here under fluky circumstances, but they got to play each other, so we're going to see who's more full of shit. That's this game. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. I am leaning Bengals. I will probably bet the Bengals once we get to Saturday more. If it's going to hover around five and a half, I will probably end up betting the Bengals. I'm hating my life that I bet money on Zach Taylor, but I, I, I think you can't take a team that has no real means of moving the ball on offense other than pass interference. I just don't think that's a feasible strategy at this point. Joe Flacco did win a Super Bowl doing that, though, so... Uh, maybe I should watch my mouth. Joe Flacco and David Carr, David Carr, Derek Carr is a lot more talented than Joe Flacco was physically. So maybe Carr can lead the, lead the, I almost said the Ravens, lead, lead the Raiders on some improbable run. Game number two, divisional matchup, New England going to Buffalo, Bills four point favorites, total 44. The total being 44 tells you right away, expecting an offensive struggle. The dominant headline for this game has not been about the matchups, what happened in the regular season when these two divisional teams met up. It's been about the weather. It is expected to be below 10 degrees for the entirety of this game. There doesn't seem to be precipitation in the weather, which is good, but the that western New York wind can be swirling, and We've seen it. We saw this happen a couple months ago on Monday Night Football where Mac Jones threw the ball three times the entire game and the Patriots won 14-10. It is possible to win a game like that in today's NFL, but here's what I want to talk about in relation to this game. Divisional matchups for the third time in the playoffs very often 
the team the better team wins the third time out of three. There is the there's a lot of conjecture, and I'm guilty of it too, that the best team doesn't always win in the playoffs. It's the hottest team, the team that's more in form wins in the postseason. I think the Bills are significantly more talented than the Patriots across their roster. I, I just pure talent wise, I think the Bills have a lot more talent than New England, whether it be quarterbacks, skill positions, defensive backs. I'd lean New England's front seven being better than Buffalo's front seven. New, Buffalo's front seven is very dependent on the back end holding up long enough to get there. They have had issues rushing the passer this year. The pass rush has been inconsistent. It's corners. You got Trey White. You got Micah Hyde. There's plenty of guys back there who can make plays on the ball. And that's where I'm skeptical of New England's ability to score enough to win this game. This game very well could be 13-9. to that, It very well could be a freezing cold game where nobody wants to catch a ball and it ends in broken fingers. If you remember the um, the Seahawks-Vikings game, wild card weekend, the one where Blair Walsh missed like a 15-yard field goal to win the game, if you can recall that game where there was just audible, audible, visible condensation coming out of the players' mouths every single time they breathed because it was less than 10 degrees in the middle of the afternoon, mind you, I, I, I feel safe to say it's going to be that kind of slog where it's going to be hard to catch the ball. The ball is going to be blown around because it is always windy in western New York. I, I lean Buffalo from the outset, so that's the framing of my mindset. I don't trust Mac Jones. Uh, at the end of the day, I hate saying at the end of the day. It makes me sound like a talking head. When I'm evaluating these games that are close to a coin flip, I know four is a little bit more than a coin flip. Usually you want to say two and a half or less a game is a coin flip. But four points, division rivals, we know Belichick can scheme up a good, as good a defensive game plan for one game as anybody in the history of the National Football League. We've seen him put Josh Allen in hell before. We've seen him put some younger quarterbacks in hell. Josh Allen has faced the Bills a handful of times now in his career. Josh Allen is not a spring he's not a baby anymore. He's going to be he's on his second contract. He's about to turn 25. The Bills went to the AFC title game last year and could not score. They could not move the ball and the offense this year was not as good as it was last year. There's an air of skepticism around the Bills' ability to make a prolonged playoff run because they do not rush the passer particularly well, and they cannot run the ball, which is a problem when it comes to putting away leads. Now, I am not as big of a believer in that as some of the old heads might be, that you need to be able to run the ball to win in the playoffs, but you got to be able to run at least in the red zone, because throwing the ball in that compressed space becomes so much more difficult. Even if you only need to rush for three, four yards, you still got to be able to do that on occasion. Now, Devin Singletary looked pretty good against the Jets. Granted, the Jets' defense is nothing to write home about. It is pretty depleted. C.J. Mosley gets a lot of tackles. They have okay defensive backs in Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles, but that is not a stout run defense, and Devin Singletary was out there looking like prime Emmett Smith running between the tackles, shredding people off of him. I've liked Devin Singletary since he came out of college. I had him in multiple fantasy leagues, expecting him to figure it out because he was pretty good in college. And typically, somebody who's pretty good in college that gets drafted onto an already good team will be productive. 
He has failed to be productive. Zach Moss has been a healthy scratch a number of times this year. I believe they also have Matt Breida in the fold, which I forgot Matt Breida existed before I saw him score a touchdown on red zone. The problem for the Bills, and this is a staple of Belichick teams, Belichick's teams are great in the red zone defensively. They they always are in the upper echelon of scoring defense because the Patriots will give up yards until you get to the red zone. Then they will clamp down and make you settle for a field goal. The Bills cannot run the ball with any real competency or demands. They can't get four yards whenever they want it on the ground like some of the other teams we're going to talk about in these playoffs. Then you're setting up where it's going to be Josh Allen trying to extend the play, get outside the pocket, throw to a corner of the end zone, or just take it in himself. And that's where New England can start to vulture passes, where you have a McCourty back there, you have J.C. Jackson, who's one of the better ball hawks in the league back there. You've got guys with ball skills who can intercept, who can defend, deflect passes, and give your guys a hard time. I expect this to be a mucky, ugly game. I expect it to be in the teens, if not single digits, in all honesty. I want to see Buffalo win this game. I really was pulling for the Bills last year in the playoffs. I wanted the Bills to go to the Super Bowl. I wanted the Bills to win the Super Bowl, the four teams in the Final Four last year. I don't think this team is as good as last year's team. Josh Allen is still playing pretty damn well, but he's not playing MVP well like he was last year. I want to see Stephon Diggs and J.C. Jackson a lot tomorrow. I don't, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, excuse me. I don't know how often we're going to get to see that matchup, but that'll be fun. On the New England side of things, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, God help me, Brandon Bolden. Those are going to be the tone setters for New England. New England is not going to ask Mac to do a lot. They're going to try and run the ball, play action, hit an occasional shot, but more or less, New England is going to be underneath. They are going to Hunter Henry you. They're going to Nelson Aguilar you, Kendrick Bourne you. They're going to stay underneath, and they are going to keep things simple. They're not going to ask Mac to do too much. They're going to try and keep this game close and hope that they can make a play on defense or special teams to win this game. And I know that sounds silly to say because you can't really scheme turnovers, but at this point, I've stopped doubting Belichick. I like, like I said on Monday, talking about the national title game between Alabama and Georgia. I would rather lose with Belichick and Saban than I would betting against them. Because at this point in my life, I've lost too much money betting against Belichick and Saban. So, this is a game I could see the underdog winning of the three AFC games this weekend. I think this is the one with the best chance for an underdog winning. I mean, it is the closest line, so that's not really me going out on a limb in terms of a take. But it's a four-point spread. 44 is the total. That tells me the odds makers are expecting a slog. I expect a slog. This will be a football nerd game where somebody will make one or two big plays, and that will define this game. Think of the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl from 2018. That is the kind of game I would expect here where one big offensive play, one interception, one fumble, that will end up being your deciding factor in a game like this. And it's weird because I think Buffalo has more talent. Like, I went through the rosters looking at it, and I think Buffalo has more talent. Quarterbacks, you got, obviously, Allen over Jones. And then coaches, 
McDermott's made weird decisions in the playoffs the last couple of years. There have been some weird plays that have happened. He's been a little bit conservative. He's been a bit too aggressive in times where it wasn't necessary. I think I'm taking Belichick over McDermott. That's not really going out on a limb. Belichick's the best coach in the history of the NFL, and McDermott is just a pretty good coach in today's league. I'm curious to see what Buffalo's offense looks like. They've had spurts where they just could not move the ball. Brian Dable is going to get head coaching buzz again this year. I'm kind of surprised he didn't get a job last year. Leslie Frazier, their defensive coordinator, is getting head coaching interview requests. So I'm curious to see how much of an impact that makes. I doubt it makes much of an impact, those coaches doing 30 minutes of a Zoom call, getting to know people in the organizations interviewing them. I want to see something from the Bills here. This AFC is winnable. For a second tier of team, I do want to say I think the Bills can make something happen of the second tier of teams here. Of that second tier, you're talking about New England, Vegas, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. And I consider Tennessee in the second tier of teams, even though Tennessee was the one seed. I don't think Tennessee is well-equipped for the playoffs. We have seen them time and time again get into situations where they need a dynamic, explosive play, and they just cannot make it happen. Maybe this is the year for them, but I think Buffalo is the one team that, if everything goes right for them, they can give Kansas City the best puncher's chance. Moving along, the third AFC game is the ugliest one. The one that nobody really wanted. The reason we were all rooting for a tie in the Chargers game. The Charger Raider game, because nobody wants to see Big Ben at this point. Just... Big Ben has been bad now for two years. I know the legacy media people still are, you can't, you can't, you got to put some respect. Big Ben's been done for two years now. He's good enough between the ears that he has survived, that the Steelers have been competitive with him. I do not want to see Big Ben in another playoff game. There is no team in the entire league that shows throws short of the sticks more than the Steelers because Big Ben cannot push the ball down the field more than a handful of times per game. I mean, that one interception he had in the game against the Ravens was abominable, where he planted his feet and just chucked it. Arm punt ass, planted his feet, just looked up and flung it as high as he could downfield. And the guy got underneath it to intercept it like it was a punt, how bad of a throw it was. If Pittsburgh is going to be competitive, I'm not even saying win. If Pittsburgh is going to be competitive in this game, they are going to need Najee Harris to have one of the best running back performances in the last 10 years. They are going to need him making plays in the running game, in the passing game. They are going to need him to keep Kansas City off the field, and every single time Pittsburgh has the ball, they're going to need to score seven points. Just field goals will not cut it against Patrick Mahomes. These two teams played uh, back in December. Kansas City won easy, uh, 36-10. Yeah, they won 36-10 to back when they played in December. Pittsburgh could not move the ball. That was at the peak of the Kansas City defense getting its groove back where – they got Chris Jones going again from the interior. You get Tyron Matthew. But 
There is a world. There is a game plan where Pittsburgh can do what they are good at on offense, the underneath stuff, and give Kansas City a hard time because Kansas City's linebackers are pretty bad and only Tyron Matthew gives me pause in that secondary. Uh, I'm not worried about Daniel Sorensen back there. The linebackers, whether it be Hitchens or anybody else, I am not particularly worried. That's where I think Pittsburgh has an opportunity here, where if you're attacking the middle of the field consistently with Pat Fryermuth, with Najee Harris underneath and in design screens and that kind of thing, you're going to be able to make Kansas City compress themselves a little bit defensively. And then maybe you get some one-on-ones on the outside and you you pray Ben ate his Wheaties Sunday morning and he can make some of these one-on-one throws to the outside because when Chase Claypool is on his game, he can win jump balls and make some plays that a normal receiver can't. That's very contingent and dependent on, you know, things that aren't exactly measurable, which is something I hate doing is referencing things that you can't measure because you're just I'm just asking you to trust my opinion as opposed to having evidence to point it out. But there's a reason this is a 12 and a half point spread. The total's 46 and a half. I mean, this is Big Ben's last rights as an NFL quarterback. If Pittsburgh wins this game, something catastrophic must have happened to Kansas City. And granted, it's ironic I say that because that's exactly what I said about the Browns beating the Steelers in the wildcard game last year when the Browns were missing three of their five offensive linemen and their head coach and two defensive backs and a linebacker. I said it would take an absolute disaster for Pittsburgh to lose this game. And disaster happened. They had a t- The Browns scored a touchdown the first play from scrimmage on defense where the ball got snapped past Big Ben. The Browns recovered a touchdown. And the Browns body-bagged the Steelers. It'd be very funny if the Chiefs got body-bagged, but I think the Chiefs are definitely the best team in the AFC. They are the team I want to play the least. Yes, that is mostly just because Patrick Mahomes scares the shit out of me as somebody who fancies themselves a football expert and likes to bet on football. Very few times I've bet against Patrick Mahomes in his four years now as a starter. A handful of times... Only three or four times, honestly, in the four years, and I've won one of the four times, and I didn't feel good about it because I still felt like they probably should have covered in that game, but I digress, I digress. There is a recipe for Pittsburgh to win this game, and it's going to be TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick making plays on defense. They are going to need extra possessions. They are going to need more chances to score seven points. Because I expect every time Kansas City to get the ball to end in at least three points. And I cannot say that's the same thing for Pittsburgh, who is very complacent to try and play field position and defense because they do have a pretty good defense. Cam Hayward will give you a headache. TJ Watt, 22 and a half sacks, even if he did have the extra game. It's impressive, man. In today's NFL, it is damn impressive to beat double teams and win your one-on-ones and get past chips with that much consistency. I will not be betting Kansas City minus 12.5. Kansas City is notorious for not covering as a favorite. They are very good as an underdog. Granted, they haven't been an underdog very often since Mahomes emerged as the starter. They are very bad over the last two years as a favorite, especially as a double-digit favorite. Andy Reid does get cute in the second half once he's built a big lead, 
more than one example I can point to of the Chiefs getting out in front big early and letting the other team back in the game because they stop trying on offense because they don't want to use anything too creative. And they keep it vanilla, and there's more runs, and there's more screen passes to running backs, and there's more of the checkdowns to, like, Byron Pringle and Miko Hardman and Demarcus Robinson or Josh Gordon this year. Uh, uh, yeah, I forgot Josh Gordon was on the Chiefs until I saw him catch a pass last week on Red Zone, and I was like, who is that? Oh, Josh Gordon. Good to see you, Josh. So, our... Okay. If I had to pick all three of these games... With the spread. Not not we're not doing money line here. I'm I'm not a very bad talking head on ESPN. <sighs> Raiders plus five and a half. New England plus four. And I dare say Pittsburgh plus twelve and a half. And I hate betting all the underdogs, but these these are some ugly spreads. Uh, I will keep track of my bets during the playoffs. We went two and one last week in our first week back doing picks on the podcast but we're gonna pick every single playoff game with the spread just just to keep track of where my thermometer is at if i am any good at this or not or if i should probably stop giving picks as anything other than a novelty i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode we will be back tomorrow we will unpack the nfc we will do a little bit more gambling talk we will get a little bit more deeper i have a better feel for the nfc than the afc for whatever reason i just feel like i know the teams in the nfc a little bit better than the afc i mean we've got some weird ones in here the patriots with you know an offense of spare parts and island of misfit toys the raiders who shouldn't be here the bengals who have one of the five worst coaches in the league and the steelers who shouldn't be here so it's a little bit harder to say anything with real definition I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode.